0: This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message.
1: The path to get what you want is through the pain you're trying to avoid. It's almost always true in every aspect of life. This applies spiritually, this applies in business, this applies in your family, and in your marriage, with your kids, with any kind of relationship that you you could think of to have. The path to get what you want is through the pain you're trying to avoid. You naturally are, I'm pain adverse. I don't like pain. I wanna avoid pain.
0: Nobody likes to go through tribulations. We would all avoid them if we could. We want our lives to be absent of pain, but that's not the world we live in. Today, Pastor Cody reminds us that Jesus promised we would experience tribulations as we follow Him. But, as Pastor Cody explains, the suffering we endure as we follow Christ is not in vain. In fact, God allows us to experience this suffering for a purpose. He doesn't let it go to waste. Instead, He uses our tribulations to build us up for our own good. Now, Turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 5 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio.
1: Justification is only possible if it's imputed. Do you remember that word from last week? It's given. It's, It's imparted. Someone else has given you theirs. That's the only way that we can actually be justified because guilty people can't earn this justification. If I'm guilty, then I'm already unjustified in terms of being counted just as good as Jesus. I can never get there because I'm already guilty, but because of the grace of God, because of how good he is, he'll look at me as if I'm just as good as Jesus. That's the amazing thing. And that's only possible by grace through faith. Also, notice there in verse 1 of chapter 5, there's this word, therefore. See the word, therefore? We're going to see this word pretty often. It's going to be happening over and over and over again from here all the way through chapter 8. Now, what's taking place is that The word therefore is used to build one premise on top of another. It's a way that you build a concept, build a case. You take one concept and you build another concept and then you build another concept. And so if you were even to just scan through your Bible, you'll see therefore happens fairly often throughout this this next section. And so really what this is talking about is as we connect the previous thought, like we said, the whole thing of these first four chapters is to get us to the idea of justification, to understand it. And then what? It's like, I got into Disneyland. Now what? Right? That's the thought. That's the idea. It's not just staying in the entryway. It's to go in and take hold of all that is there for you. There is a lot more there for you to experience. And so what this is telling us here in these first couple of verses, verses one and two, is that there are four primary things that justification produces. Four primary things. Essentially, what this is telling us is what is the result of being declared just? When you are declared holy, when you're declared just, what happens? What's the result? Well, the first thing in verse 1 is that we have peace with God. Do you see that there in verse 1? Peace with God. Jesus brings peace with God. God. You see, humanity's default, humanity's natural state, your natural state is not to be at peace with God. In fact, it's to be at war with God. Now, that may seem weird to you. You may, you may think, I've never really been at war with God. I've never actively pursued declaring war on God and saying, I'm against you. And I've tried to be a good person my whole life. Well, here's the thing. The truth of the matter is that your sinfulness puts you at odds with him. And so maybe you don't think you're at war with God, but God is at war with you. God is at war with your sin. And so if he's at war with you, you are absolutely caught up in a war because of your sinfulness. All people are image bearers of God. That comes right out of Genesis chapter one, that God made man and woman. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, I think is where that's found. All people are found as image bearers of God. We've been created in the image of God. And some people take that concept and they conflate it to mean something it doesn't mean. You'll hear it like this. You'll hear people say it like this. We're all children of God. We're all the children of God. Have you heard that? Maybe you've even said that. That's not a true statement. Biblically speaking, that is not a true statement. We are all image bearers of God. We've all been created by God. We've all been crafted by him lovingly and carefully and specifically and gloriously. And yet we're not all children of God. No, the only way that we become children of God is through adoption. And the price of your adoption is the blood of Jesus. That's the only way you become the child of God. You become the child of God by grace through faith. And when you are made the child of God, you're put at peace with God. You see, Jesus' blood makes me God's friend instead of his enemy. That's what the blood of Jesus does. And so that's this first idea of justification and what it produces, peace with God. Notice also, not only peace with God, but it's, look at verse 2, through whom, th- who's whom? Jesus. Jesus is the whom, through whom we also have access by faith. The second thing that we have is access to God. Not just peace with God, but we have access to God. It's one thing to say, I'm no longer at war with you. We're at peace. And it's quite a different thing to say, I can come into your presence. Now, the word access, it's a word that is used to describe bringing somebody before a dignitary. It's the liaison, somebody that takes you and brings you into the presence of the king. It's it's a, a pauper that has no right and no ability of their own, no opportunity who is ushered before the throne of the king. Not for judgment, but for relationship. That's the crazy thing that's taking place with this word. Now, our access to God, it has a lot of implications to it. And I just want to briefly talk to a couple of these thoughts. Our access to God is instantaneous, You don't have to wait for a certain time. It used to be limited in the Old Testament that only one man on one day, the high priest on the day of atonement could go into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies in the temple. Now that was only accessible to him, that one guy on that one day. The rest of humanity was not given that kind of access. And yet because of Jesus, we have immediate access Think about that for a minute. You can, at this very moment, come into God's presence at any moment in time. It doesn't matter if you wake up at three in the morning and something's on your heart and mind, you can pray immediately and you're in the presence of God. It doesn't matter if you're driving your car. It doesn't matter if you're at work. It doesn't matter if you're changing your kid's diaper or whatever it happens to be. You have immediate access to God. It's instantaneous. It's perpetual. It's perpetual. It's not something that's just, you know, here today and gone tomorrow. It's not something that, you know, I have to wait for a certain timing, but it's just perpetual access that I have to God. It's it's individual. It's not something that's a group. It's not something that, you know, they have access to God or those people over there or when I go to church, then I have access to God. No, it's individual. You individually have access to God, which is mind-blowing when you think about all the people on the planet and that God can make himself available simultaneously to all of us at once. It's crazy the way that he can do that. It's individual and it's eternal. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't, it's not like it's going to stop one day. It's not like, you know, if you had access to some sort of dignitary, let's say you visited a king or a president or somebody and, you know, you had some time with them, you would only have a very short amount of time. Someone's going to be watching the watch and and timing you and saying, okay, you're done now. Time to get out of the presence of this person. Not with the Lord, not with God. Jesus, because of his blood, provides you access to God eternally. What an amazing idea. It's not temporary and it's not restricted. Jesus' blood gives me the privilege of God's presence. Thirdly, we have standing before God. That's what the idea of justification does. It produces standing before God. Look at verse two again. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This grace in which we stand. We have standing before God. Salvation and sustaining our lives are given by God. That he gives you salvation by grace. That he gives you this this sustaining of your life. He keeps you saved. He keeps you in Christ. It's not something you do. It's something he does. And in this, the ground that you stand on is his grace. The, The way that you're able to even stand before God is because he is so gracious. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He's gifting it to you. He's allowing you to be in his presence because of his grace. Your position is given because of his graciousness. You see, think about it like this. God doesn't just love you. He also likes you. Are there some people in your life that you love? I'm sure there are. Are there some people in your life that you love, but you wouldn't necessarily choose to spend time with? (laughs) I'm going to guess there's probably some people like that in your life as well see those people that you wouldn't necessarily choose to spend time with you love them but you don't necessarily like them and I think some people have a view of God that way that God loves me because he's God he kind of like has to it's just this thing where God loves everybody and so God has to love me I guess but he doesn't, he doesn't like me he doesn't choose to spend time with me why would he do something so crazy as that that's, that is not the view of God that's not who he is he likes you he wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He's interested in you. That may be a mind blowing concept for you, but that's true. It's absolutely who He is. And when, you're, when your identity is secure in Christ, you realize that it's not because of your greatness that God wants to spend time with you, it's because of your justification by Jesus. That's how you're given that kind of aspect. When God looks at you, the ground that you're standing on, he's not looking at you with a scowl, with, with you know, furrowed eyebrows and a frowny face and like, I'm going to judge you. I, I, I love you, but I might like you if you would just do a little bit better. That's not who God is. No, he's looking at you with joy and a smile and, and excitement and anticipation for a relationship. Here's how David Guzik says it. The standing that we have in grace tells us that grace is more than our means of salvation— It is also a description of our standing before God. It's not just the beginning principle of the Christian life. It's the continuing principle of the Christian life. It's not just the beginning. It's also the continuation, our standing before God. Jesus' blood gives me the position of favor with God that's the idea of this standing and fourthly as we look at these four different parts of justification or these the four things that justification produces it produces fourthly rejoicing in god look there at verse 2 it says into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of god now god's glory what this is saying is the source of our hope do you see that there So so let's take this phrasing and work it backward. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. God's glory produces our hope, and that's where our joy comes from. That's what this is declaring to us, that God's glory is the source of our hope, which produces joy. You see, there's a joyous pleasure of a life that's pleasing to God. Think about it, you know, just the way that, you know, like from a child's perspective, that, that we we want our parents to enjoy us. We want them to be excited about us. We want them to look on us with favor. And when when they do, there's this joyous hope that arises within our hearts. And when we can see God that way, when we can see that God is looking at you with with this loving joy within his heart, within his eyes, then it brings pleasure to our lives. Know that my life pleases God that when I'm living a life that's not contrary to the Lord, that's lived in in pursuit of sin and foolishness and depravity and wickedness, but instead when my life is in pursuit of holiness by his grace, by his power, by his ability, there's a, a joy unexpressible that you can't describe through any other human means that arises within the heart and the mind of the believer. You see, the pursuit of leisure or pleasure or money or power, or even experiences and recreation, while they're not necessarily bad things in and of themselves, the pursuit of those will always leave you empty. They'll always come up short. They'll never truly fulfill you the way that you need to be fulfilled because you're made for more. You need the joy of God to fill your life in hope. And that can't happen apart from pursuit of him. You see, Jesus' blood gives me a life of satisfied purpose. That's what Jesus brings. Secondly, not only do we see the produce of justification, but also the produce of tribulation in verses three through five. Look back at verse three with me, if you would. It says, and not only that, now now pause for just a second. Think about that phrase. Not only that, did you listen to what we just went through? Doesn't that sound like a crazy, amazing amount of stuff that you're thinking, that's more than enough. That, that's way more than I would have even thought to ask for. And yet that's what's been provided me by the blood of Christ. And not, But wait! there's more. You know, it's like one of those infomercials where you're going to buy a set of knives and then you get 85 of them in the set. And you know, it's like, but wait, there's another one. Not only does it do that, it'll cut through a cinder block and also cut your tomato. But wait, there's more. We're going to throw in your, you know, whatever. Okay. So I've watched too many of those and they always get me. I always want to buy more knives. But the thing is that there is more for us in Christ. It seems crazy to say it, but really there's actually more in a very real sense. When you look back at the things in verses one through two, yes, there is a present thing that they do within our lives, but they in, in a very real sense. It's, it's much more of a, a heavenly reality that, that, you know, am I in God's presence now? Well, yes, in a sense, but I'm looking forward to being in God's presence in heaven, in the future. There's a future fulfillment. So the question then comes, well, what about now? What about my life right here, right now? You see the mindset from verses one and two is absolutely essential. If we don't understand the implications of justification and where we stand with God and all of the aspects and and the ways that we have this access to God and his, his loving, gracious view toward us and the hope and joy we have in him, then we will not be able to understand verses three through five. We've got to understand God's goodness and his graciousness and his for me-ness, if I could say it that way, that he's for you, not against you. And once that's established, then you can go into verses three through five, because if you don't understand verses one and two, then the idea of, look at what it says in verse three, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. When you read that phrase, you think, uh, that's, that's, that's cute, Paul, but, um, I don't think that's True. When we don't understand verses one and two, then the idea, the concept of glorying in tribulations, it seems like just a religious platitude, a nice idea. It's just something that religious people say to sound really holy, but it's not real. It has no bearing on my actual life. And though it seems counterintuitive, we cannot as Christians, especially consider ourselves or hope for or expect a problem-free life. Doesn't Doesn't that fly in the face of everything that you're pursuing? I mean, as a person, I'm constantly concerned with my own satisfaction. I'm concerned with my own peace and my own enjoyment of things. And and I'm trying to perpetually insulate myself from anything that could be Painful or difficult, or like it says, they're tribulations. I don't want that. Whatever that is, I like. Let's not sign up for those things. That's what I'm constantly trying to avoid. But what we have is we have to understand the idea of tribulation and that there are actually three reasons for tribulations. That, that uh, before we get into all of these aspects and nuances of this, I just want to go over three different reasons for tribulations. Number one, God uses tribulation. That's a big thing that you've got to grasp theologically. It's got to be a rock in your theological mind that God uses tribulation. It's a unique tool in the hand of God to produce what cannot come any other way in your life. That God uses tribulation. He uses pain. He uses difficulty. He uses hardship to produce things in you that can come no other way. We're going to get into that here in just a minute. It's, it's like this smooth seas never make for good sailors, right? If you want to, you want to be a good sailor, you're going to have to go through some hard waves. Also, not only does God use tribulation, but secondly, God measures tribulation. God measures tribulation out to you. It's a tool that he uses to carefully craft your life, not a weapon in his hand to arbitrarily destroy your life. Sometimes we think of tribulation that way, don't we? God, why me? Why this? Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? Why, are you, why don't you stop this from taking place? Why did you bring this into my life? And when we ask those questions, we think that God's trying to destroy us instead of realizing he's actually building us through this pain that we would avoid in our own, in our own lives. You might, you might make it worse, though, through your own foolishness. You ever done that? You ever had that one happen? You, you ever had some trial, some difficulty, some hardship come into your life and then you exponentially increase the pain through your own foolish decisions or whatever? Absolutely, that takes place. And when that happens, we can't blame God and say, God, you, you're just putting too much on me. And you just, you take the victim role and say, God, you're, you're putting too much on me when the truth is that you've actually chosen foolishly and your own sin is what's making it as bad as it is. It shouldn't be that bad. It shouldn't hurt that bad. It shouldn't be that painful, and yet you've made it more painful through your own sin, through your own choice. You see, God's not overloading you with trouble. He's actually measuring out this tribulation to you. And thirdly, God promises tribulation. We shouldn't avoid tribulation or think or hope to to have a trouble-free life. God promised that we would have tribulation. It's a common experience for humanity. All people go through troubles. All people go through hardships. Why would we think that just because I became a Christian, now it's going to be puppy dogs and, and rainbows and unicorns my, for the rest of my life. And then I'm disoriented when bad things happen. The reality is, the truth is that that's, that's me trying to live in a non-real reality. It's a common experience for humanity. And, and in John 16, Jesus actually promised. He said, you're going to have trouble. In this life, you will have tribulation but I've overcome the world. So there's hope in Jesus. It's not arbitrary. It's not random. He is in control. You know, even though, you know, we we think of this idea of tribulation and we don't like it and we want this tribulation-free, trouble-free life, there's something in that that's right and appropriate. It's good. We should want that. But that is heaven. That's not here on earth. That's not not what we're going to experience this side of eternity. It's not going to happen here and now. It's going to happen there And then it sounds counterintuitive and it feels counterintuitive, but tribulation is the way that God builds hope. Hope's the biggest thing that you need. Hope is the number one thing that we need in life because that's the the idea of, of what's connected to justification and how God builds it, how God puts it in you. It's actually through Tribulation. So verses three through five, we have three things that God produces through tribulation. We're going to spend the rest of our time just looking at those. Tribulation is defined, uh, I, like, I like the way David Guzik defines it. It's stress-filled problems. Do you have any of those? Have any stress-filled problems? I mean, how can you be in America today and not have stress-filled problems? It seems like that's all we've been living through for the last few months is just stress-filled problems. And just like it seemed like things were going to start to get better, nope, everything starts getting worse. It sounds, sounds like an evil enemy, stress-filled problems. But what God's trying to tell us is you've got to change the way you think about these. Your mind needs to shift. Your mindset has to change. It's not an enemy. It's actually a friend. That stress-filled problem is actually a friend. Now, physically, this makes sense. We kind of get this physically, don't we? I mean, if you want to run a marathon you know, you can't just sit on the couch and then think, I'm going to get up and run a marathon. You're going to have to start running a little bit. You're going to have to work up to being able to do that. You're going to need to increase the stress on your body in order to be able to get to the point where you can run that far. Same thing with like weightlifting. You don't just go to the gym one day and lift as much weight as the guy that's been doing it his whole life. You have to increase the stress and the weight in order for your body to respond physically that we understand it. That the pressure and stress and difficulty is what produces the strength. That's how it works. And so too it is with a spiritual life. You can't eat Cheetos and sit on the couch and think that you're going to be strong. That's just not the way that it works. It's the pain of consistent eating and consistent training are the only way. It's not a surgery and it's not a pill. The same thing is true in the the spiritual things, that there is a way to get the maturity and the growth and the strength that you want, but it's not going to come the easy way that you think. That's not the way it's going to work. Here, here's the way I can describe it to you. The path to get what you want is through the pain you're trying to avoid. It's almost always true in every aspect of life. This applies spiritually. This applies in business. This applies in your family and in, in your marriage, with your kids, with any kind of relationship that you could, you could think of to have. The path to get what you want is through the pain you're trying to avoid. You naturally are, I'm pain adverse. I don't like pain. I want to avoid pain. And yet I've got to willfully go into it in order to get the things that I want. You see, tribulation is the path, not the problem.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Within this book, The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans about personal things such as greeting people he knows, but also touches on some deep theological concepts that can throw people at times. Romans is a foundational book when it comes to what you believe as a Christian. What you can't deny as you read through it is that there's a clear message of God's salvation. We as human beings are separated from God because of sin, but because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, He redeems all of that and brings us into relationship with Him. Do you have such a relationship with God? We certainly hope so. If you're uncertain what that means, don't hesitate to get in touch to clear up some of the things you may not understand about salvation. You can reach us by going to redemptioncalvary.org. Under the Connect tab, you'll find what we believe the Bible says about salvation. If you'd like to hear someone's voice over the phone, we can do that too. Here's our number, 720-466-5358. Once again, that's 720-466-5358. One more way to get in touch with us is over email. Our email address is info at redemptioncalvary.org. Thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe to our podcast of Redemption Radio.